0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the NBCSports.com College Basketball Talk Podcast. It is Monday morning, January 23rd. My name is Rob Doster. I have a good episode for you today. Um, I think you guys will enjoy it. I'm bringing on my buddy Troy Macker, who ran the website Ballin' as a Habit with me. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the road trip we took five years ago this week and talk some about what happened in college basketball this weekend. Troy will try to cover up for the fact that he lies about Uh, inventing the name Dougie McBuckets and will try to justify that he didn't want to drive to Wyoming as usual I'm also bringing on my buddy Andy Glockner who was at the NCAA selection committee meeting this weekend that discussed some possible changes to selection criteria and the metrics that they use to determine uh, what are good wins what are good teams etc so I'm going to talk to him about that and it should be good I hope you guys enjoy it And now let me welcome on uh, my buddy Troy Macker, who used to run the website Bowling as a Habit with me back in the day. Troy, I'm bringing you on so you can uh, finally admit to the people that you were wrong when you wouldn't drive to Wyoming with me.
1: Is that why you brought me on? I've been waiting for this for such a long time, because you've been spreading all sorts of slanderous filth about me for the last five years, and I've been taking it.
0: It's not slanderous uh, if it's true.
1: I don't know if all of it's true. Some of it's warranted criticism of myself, uh, but uh, yeah, let's get into it, because this
0: I feel like the people want this. I think they do, too. So um, can you finally admit that you stole Dougie McBuckets from me?
1: We're we're jumping right out of the gate hot with that one, huh? Yeah, coming uh, in hot. No. That, one, that one's mine. That one is in, incredibly mine. And you're so uh, unaccepting of my popularity from that, that you had to delete the original tweets. Uh, it, it, it hurts, man. It really does, that you wouldn't let me have a little bit of shine
0: so for people that I'm not don't asking know for a
1: lot you know like a free t-shirt maybe the
0: for, for people that don't know troy and i lived together for about four years and ran a website called uh, balling is a habit that kind of got both of us employed in this business um and at one point troy came up with a nickname for doug McDermott when he was playing for creighton as dougie mcbuckets and tweeted it out and everyone caught wind of it and uh and in an interview with Sports Illustrated, Doug McDermott actually credited me with coming up with that name because I am the brilliance behind all of his nicknames. Did I, did I tell oh, you, by the way, that I went was, to uh, – um, so Troy also came up with Dunk City for, for Florida Gulf Coast, or like, at least claims he does. And did I tell you about this? I, I, I went to L.A. Um, over the summer, and I sat with Andy Enfield and you know, did an interview for like 45 minutes. And at the end of it, I was like, by the way, man, I got to tell you something. So um, when you were at Florida Gulf Coast and you were making that run – uh, I, I said um, I was sitting there with a buddy, and like he he tweeted out like uh, from our official like website account. He was like, uh, "Florida Gulf Coast is located in Dunk City, Florida," and like that's where that whole thing started. He was like, "Oh wow, so you you're the guy that came up with it?" And I was like, "Yes, yes, I am." How how are you gonna do this to me on Monday morning, man? <laughs> oh, oh man. So, uh, I look in my defense. I tried to give you credit, but he just. Yeah, I mean, he just well, knows so, so he knows the, on the brains behind the operation. So
1: the 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 Florida uh, Gulf Coast thing was interesting because, like, I felt early on after I like tweeted it out, I felt like you were more uh, attached to it because you were fighting people off with a stick. Like, nah, we did this; this is ours. Uh, the McBuckets thing, I can't. I, I'll never forget when I saw it for the first time the the interview. I think it was with Seth Davis, and he Davis asked him about it, and then like. I think said, oh, I think Gottlieb came up with it. And then uh, McDermott was like, no, nah, I think it was Van Pelt. Oh, no, 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 never mind. I think it was Rob. So I wasn't even on the top three list of people who could have potentially come up with it.
0: That's because but, you that, know. that's everyone knows that it was me. I'm, I'm the genius.
1: <laughs> it was just one of those sitting on the couch. That's where I do my best work. Uh, and yeah, you know, at least, at least Creighton, the people there... Our good good people, Rob Anderson. Uh, I got a, a Dougie McBuckets bobblehead dog that sits on my desk. So Florida Gulf Coast, if you're listening, I, just like a free T-shirt that says, like, Troy on the back that has Dunk City in the front. That's all I'm asking
0: for, really. He'll really just be happy if you tweet out and say, Troy Backer came up with Dunk City.
1: Yeah, That's all you got to do. Yeah, like, that'll make his day. I'm just here for some, you know,
0: some personal
1: brand content. Get me some RTs, man. I'm all about them RTs.
0: So the reason that I actually brought you on this week, Troy, and, and you know this, is that uh, – it's the five year anniversary five years ago this week we were on a road trip. we did uh, what was it 13 games in 23 days we, went, we, we were living in Washington yep. DC at the time we made it all the way out to Logan Utah and then came all the way back and it was it was an interesting experience it was one of the one of my favorite um, like three weeks ever like it was just so much fun. I'm surprised that we both survived. One because we decided to drive 36 hours straight from Logan, Utah to Washington, D.C., which was dumb. And two because, like, there was a very real chance that we were going to murder each other um, on one of the last three days of that trip. But I'm just kind of curious, man. Looking back, like, what was your what was your favorite part of that?
1: It's so hard because I've been thinking about it a lot recently. Uh, what like my I mean, there were there are lots of individual moments I think we've discussed over the years. But honestly, you know, driving across the country. And just, you know, especially post-college when you're like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. And that we were definitely in that position trying to get full-time jobs. So it was really the all of it. Um, The the funny thing is, is like, you know, just doing a lot of driving, you get a lot of time to just think and like reflect, which sounds corny. uh, But it's Kansas. There's nothing to do in Kansas. So it's just a lot of thinking. And like the drive from Denver to Logan was one of the most unreal visuals I've ever seen. It's like, hey, we're doing it, Harry. We're really doing it. Just driving across country is something that, you know, so many people our age do, and we did it, but for something completely different, uh, like, you know, how many different cool moments were there? So many. Um, But uh, it was really the whole thing, because, I mean, there were those instances where I thought we were going to kill each other in Iowa, or we were going to die in Missouri or Wyoming. Um, But it's, it's wild to think that it was five years ago.
0: Yeah, I really can't believe it was five years ago. I think my like my favorite memory that I had totally forgotten about was we went to uh Cincinnati for a who did who did Cincinnati No, we didn't see a Cincinnati game, we saw a Xavier game. But we went to like, Xavier Duquesne. Yeah, but we went to a Cincinnati practice and then we hung out it was the night of the national title game in two thousand twelve. remember that one that was like nine to six?
1: Yeah, it was Alabama USC. It was that just awful game.
0: Yeah, and, and so that night, like we went out with a bunch of writers that cover like the Cincinnati and we went and play pickup with them the next day. And like we were all hung over because like, we all went out drinking the night before. And um, it was just the worst pickup basketball game I think anyone's ever played in the history of the sport. Like Dr. James Naismith roll over in his grave um, watching it. And then you put together a highlight video of it with uh, like a hoop mixtape beat over the, the. Remember that? Do you remember putting that together? Yeah.
1: Yeah, so I just looked looked it up like recently, um, and it wasn't it, like the beat I used was Kanye uh, like Power or Stronger or one of those, and like somehow YouTube cracked down on our like thousand viewed video. They're like, so when you go look at it, there's no they like blocked out the audio, so it's just B roll of us you know missing bounce passes and you airballing every three point attempt you took.
0: No, you edited that, man. I, I hit a couple.
1: Yeah, well, like you did, but you were like don't three or four for like I don't know, fifteen. But in your defense, <laughs> you, I mean, you were you were you're pulling up from whatever, but you are also wearing like your bar shoes. They had like no soles or traction.
0: Yeah, we didn't exactly plan out. Uh, I, I don't think I expected to exercise that entire trip.
1: Yeah, no, me neither. But that was like it's that's one of the cool things. It's like Cincinnati. We had like two or three days there, and I didn't envision us, uh, like, doing anything wild in Cincinnati. But that was fun because we just kind of winged it on the fly. And if there was one thing I could do more of on that trip that we didn't was doing stuff on the fly. Oh, um,
0: mention that you bring that yeah. up. That's funny <laughs> that you bring that up. So the the yeah. thing that I always get on Go Troy on. about, um, and I get him on, on this on Twitter about all the time, is because we were in Lawrence, Kansas, right? We went to a Kansas-Texas A&M game. And that night at, like, 1 o'clock in the morning, we were sitting in some, like, Little, like, Motel 6. I don't even remember what it was. Like, we stayed in some of the grimiest hotels of all time on that I, trip. I think that was a Best Western. Best, Yeah, in it was morning. a Best Western. And we're sitting there, and it's 1 o'clock in the morning, and we're just finishing up what we had to write. And, like, tweets start coming out that San Diego State's plane it can't take off from wherever they are. And, like, so there's they spent 24 hours in the airport, and they're supposed to play at Wyoming. And, like, we – Wyoming was, what, like 11 hours from where we were? But we were already going to be driving 10 hours the next day to get to Denver. So I was like, why don't we just leave right now and we'll go to the Wyoming game? And it was like the, this, the, the probably one of the five greatest ideas I've ever had in my entire life. And Troy was not having any of it. He would not go to Wyoming. He refused. You well, know why? Because you didn't want to do things on the fly.
1: Well, so, so a few things here. Uh, I, I will not uh, um, say that I, I – wasn't uh, being friendly or creative because I would have liked to do it. But here's the thing. First and foremost, um, again, like we've discussed earlier, uh, it was actually my idea, um, or at least I found the mention that San Diego State was like stranded and and rude to Laramie. Uh, But you stole it from me, like, again, McBuckets and Dunk City. Um, And as soon as I said it, I knew I shouldn't have because I had actually suggested we should go to this game back in September or October when we were planning it. And you're like, no, I don't, want, I don't want to go to that game. That's going to be a bore. Um, but yeah, so you also have a bad track record when it comes to driving my car. And we were on day 22 of the whole thing. And my car didn't last but a month after we got back. So who knows what would have happened if we had driven eight hours to go to Laramie instead of going to Denver. And – if we had gone to Laramie instead of Denver, we had not. We would have not gone to the casino in Blackhawk, where we had. Pro- I don't. Know, that may have been my most fun experience: is going to the casino and winning money because I've never been to a casino before. So uh, you can complain about us not going to Wyoming, but A, we're still alive, so I saved your life because who knows, we probably would have died. And B, we had enough money to make it back because we went to Denver instead of Wyoming. So um, yeah. I was being smart and it paid off. There.
0: Yeah. That that is true. We probably wouldn't have made it back. We we went to a casino and like played craps and won. I think I won like $200 and you won like $150. And that was the only reason we had enough gas money to get all the way home from Logan, Utah.
1: <laughs> but like I wish we did do more stuff where it was just like, "Oh, hey, we're our, like let's stop on the side of the road and run to the top of this mountain or like, "Oh, hey, look at that odd World's largest ketchup factory. Let's stop there and do something. I wish we had done more of that stuff. You know, maybe not like let's drive eight hours out of our way into like the dead of winter, and and see if we can get past like the wall to go see it, the Mountain West game that a team may not even show up to play.
0: Yeah, it was fun, man. It was fun. Um, the the thing that kind of uh, you know, I just want to make mention of. It. I think the the. The best, I don't know if the best experience is the right, right way to put it, but we also went to uh, to Joplin, and this was like nine months after the tornado came through. And so what we did was we went and we volunteered for a day with Habitat for Humanity, rebuilding houses. And then we did, I forget exactly what it was, but we ended up raising like, how much did we donate? Like 500 bucks, 400 bucks? Uh, it
1: was like 375, I think.
0: Whatever it was, we were able to raise some money. Um, I think it was by like how many Twitter followers we could add to the Poland as a habit account or something like that in the span of a day. Is that yeah. what it was?
1: Yeah, um, it was that. And then like, but people also just donated. Oh, and we also had like a, a, at the, in whatever the 2011 equivalent to GoFundMe was, we like had one of those on our website. We were just like, Hey, if you don't have money, we're going to, we'll donate it to, um, Habitat for humanity. But so yeah, all the followers we picked up for that account, they're now your followers. So you're welcome.
0: Yeah, I know all twenty one thousand of them I think at the time we only had like five thousand followers on Twitter because I couldn't remember like we pitched to hotel rooms they were like they' were like yeah you know what like you got you should let us stay for free for the night because we could f- <laughs> provide all this advertising by tweeting out about it to the five thousand people that follow us on Twitter and the two thousand people that read our page every day
1: hey it worked we got some free hotel rooms
0: yeah we did and those are the only nice places we stayed too we stayed in some we stayed in like a really nice place in Tulsa didn't we
1: yeah, in Tulsa, I think it was a Marriott. That was the nicest place. Um, we had to like do the most writing in return, but again, it's like, hey, we, we're getting a free hotel room, and we like filled up the mini fridge with like you know like forty ounces
0: or or twenty two ounce Bud Heavies. Yeah, that that was a that was a constant theme on the trip, Bud Heavies. All right, let's talk about what happened in, uh, in college basketball this weekend. Um, we saw Arizona beat up on UCLA. We saw Creighton not look terrible without Mo Watson. We saw. Duke finally looked like Duke. What was the one thing after watching the games this weekend that you kind of took away and you are thinking was the biggest outcome?
1: Well, I think it, probably Arizona over UCLA just because, um, you know, it was on the road. Uh, and UCLA, as we've seen, is I mean, their top five or six are as good as any five or six in the country. But I think that you would also throw Arizona's top six in there uh, in terms of just best talented and, and also put together the, the best and to see what Alonzo Trier brings to the team, and also Laurie Markinen is, is a beast, and when Kobe Simmons is playing well, I mean, a team has a lot to handle. Um, either that or, I mean, you know, whenever we start cobbling together lists for tournament stuff, dark horses and contenders, I, I think Florida State has to be in there for, for dark horse, which is essentially, you know, teams five through ten that could win. Um, they're pretty complete. They have so much talent. And, you know, I don't think a lot of people are looking at them as Final Four uh, contenders now just because there's still a lot of basketball left. But, man, they are really talented and fun to watch play, which is, at this point, point, you know, one of the most important things right now.
0: Yeah, they're not like the Florida State team's old. They actually get out and run a little bit. They have a bunch of athletes and a bunch of guys yeah. that can score. Um, it's crazy, man. Like, like, le- they're they're like legitimately in the conversation for a number one seed right now. It's going to be yeah. hard for them to do. Like, I – If I had to pencil stuff in right now, I would would pencil Villanova in in the east. I would pencil Kentucky in in the south, Kansas in the midwest, and then Gonzaga, UCLA, or Arizona, one of those teams out west. But, I mean, Florida State, they just went on a run where they played uh, six straight ranked teams and won five of those games, um, including winning at Arizona. The only loss came at North Carolina in a game where they actually played pretty well. So, like, that's a really good basketball team, and I think you're right. People aren't really talking about them enough because, like, it's Florida State. You know? yeah and i
1: I would love to see them play Kansas I just think that would be such a fun like up and down game there's so many good young uh talented players on those teams I would really like the, I don't know why that game like, kind of clicked in my head like I would really like to see this I would really like to see it
0: yeah Jonathan Isaac against Josh Jackson would be a lot of fun um yes please The are how concerned are you at this point about the way that UCLA defends because you look at it now I actually just did a little bit of writing on this, so I got these numbers on the top of my head, but they gave up 1.315 points per possession to Arizona. Um, UCLA currently in Ken Palm's rankings are 125th in adjusted defensive efficiency, and when it comes down to it, they are more or less the worst defensive team out of any team uh, that can be called a contender at this point. So what, what do you make of UCLA's defense?
1: You know, I, I think when you watch UCLA play, your, their defense is is pretty good, just like generic. Looking at it uh, as a as a viewer, um, but I, I, like in the first half against Kentucky, uh, back when they were they were struggling a little bit because they allowed uh, people to to get into the interior from the baseline, and it really hurt them in terms of they want to get out and run, and um, you know when they were giving up easy baskets, that seems to be. Um, One of their, you know, weakest points is, you know, on the interior because, well, they do have some size, Thomas Welsh, uh, and the the freshman whose name, Anabogu. Anabogu, you got that one right. What's his first Um, name?
0: Try to pronounce his first name.
1: I don't even know what his first name is. EK. It's EK. How do you spell it? Like Ike. Oh, okay, yeah, Ek yeah. E. Anabogu. Uh, he's like big body, talented dude, but they don't they don't have a lot of size. Like TJ Leaf plays, I don't know how big he is, but he plays a lot bigger than whatever he looks like. Um, so, you know, could their defense be an issue? I suppose, but they have so much talent that um, you know it's going to be something that will only hurt them like very far down the road. And if they're like the Final Four national championship game, and if they're playing in that, then I think. You know, you would have to figure this season to be a, a huge success. Something that Steve Alford definitely needs, considering his tenure there has been a little bit interesting.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, no matter what happens, I would say that this year has already been a huge success for him. Um, I mean,
1: even if like they lose in the first round of the tournament,
0: I mean that would suck, and and I'm I don't, but I don't think that would get him fired for a couple of reasons. Yeah. One, I think that he brought like entertaining basketball back to UCLA yeah. and UCLA basketball is relevant. They're a top 10 team. And I think that's what yeah. UCLA fans wanted losing in the first round of the tournament. It's kind of a fluke. And you'll probably have that like weird segment of, of crazy fans that want him gone as a result of it. But I think those fans are also smart enough to realize that there are two more ball brothers coming through. <laughs> yeah. And if you fire you, uh, Steve Alford, maybe you don't get those next two ball brothers. So um, that's probably something to, to keep in mind as well. All right, let me ask you this question, Troy. You're a Georgetown fan. I am. You grew up in D.C. I did. Is it time for them to part ways with John Thompson III, uh, and is that even possible? I, I'm putting you on the spot, man. I know. Uh,
1: um, is it time for them to part ways with John Thompson III? Yeah, uh, I don't know. I honestly don't know the answer to the question because I'm, you know, they have struggled uh, recently. Um In the span of the last two to three years, they haven't made a sweet sixteen and I think since the final four in two thousand and seven, so it has been an incredibly long time. and they it's not like he doesn't have players. so it, you know, what has he done recently? just like i I don't have a lot of justification for why it isn't the time other than um, you know, I'm not a huge fan of just firing coaches because they're starting to struggle. I don't think a lot of coaches get the opportunity to get into a big hole and rebuild, um, you know, even if you had success. That doesn't happen a lot. Um, In terms of will they get rid of him? They will not get rid of him at a very minimum before the end of the year. Uh, So if you think they're going to fire him after the next game, you're wrong. Um, There are a lot of reasons why. Uh, I think, honestly, one um, is the opening of the new Thompson Center that is in the name of his father, who is – Behind Joe Gibbs, probably the most um, revered coach in the history of Washington, D.C. So I don't know if the same year you build a a new athletic center in the name of the coach's father, you let him go uh, because of a lot of reasons, money, optics, um, you you know, a lot of the boosters still like JT3, but uh, a lot of the boosters are losing uh, hope, which is uh, a bad thing. I don't in five years, will he be the head coach? No, I guess, is what I would go with, but I don't know. It's, it's an odd situation. And um, because D.C., as you know, is set like a in a vet town, um, teams are a lot more popular when they're doing well, and when they're not doing well, people have more important things to do, which is why the attendance has been down at Georgetown, and the um, <clears throat> the buzz around them has been non-existent or unpalpable.
0: <laughs> unpalpable. The, or unpalpable. The biggest thing... Like, it's it's kind of hard for the attendance stuff because they get, yeah. like, ten to 12,000 fans to a game. Like, when they're rolling, they get ten to 12,000 yeah. th- fans to a game, which is pretty good for Big East teams. The problem is they play in a 19,000-seat arena that, you know, the Wizards don't even sell out. Like, that place is dead when the Wizards play, and the Wizards are good. So they kind of get a little bit of a bad rap for their attendance for that. It's, it's, just, it's just a bad situation. But I think, like, you made the really good point that they just built the Thompson Center. Like, what was that, like $40 million or something that they – a huge re- renovation yeah. to their, like, on-campus facility. And, like, as soon as you walk in the front door, there's, like, a huge statue that's, like, 15 feet tall of John Thompson Jr., who was John Thompson the third's father. So you got to factor that into the equation. Um, if his dad wasn't there, would a would, change have been made? Like, pr- probably. Um, I, I don't know. It, it, it yeah. kind of depends on how much goodwill he has. Like, it, it, it would be a lot more likely for Let's put it this way. It would be a lot more likely for him to uh, – not be um, the coach right now at Georgetown if he was uh, if he had a different last name if it wasn't the the, the kind of uh, I don't know if Thompson legacy uh.
1: yeah yeah it, it's it, it's really it's it's a weird situation it's not just because his dad is you know one of the most famous coaches in the city but also because of the stature and like the type of person he was like I mean there's a crazy story about um, a guy named Rayful Edmonds who was during the 80s and 90s the most powerful drug dealer in Washington, D.C., and he was a huge fan of Georgetown and big friends with Alonzo Mourning. And John Thompson Jr. essentially brought him into McDonough Gym, sat him down in like an old-timey desk chair and told him that he was not going to be hanging around the program, he was not to come to games. And this guy, Raphael Edmonds, the most powerful drug dealer in D.C. when D.C. was a huge drug market, uh, was like, oh, okay, I'm cool. And basically listened to what John Thompson, he is an incredibly intimidating man with huge power and uh swagger and so it it's a very odd situation given the the landscape in the background which is why I you know I, it will not be th- this season I can tell you that with almost 100% certainty <laughs> 100% certainty.
0: you got you got sources on that one Troy hey you know <laughs> you know all right man well look I've kept you for long enough um I appreciate you hopping on to uh Reminisce a little bit and um you know, hopefully next time we take a ride together, you uh you A will be willing to actually make the drive to do something fun and B won't eat all of the cheese curds.
1: Hey, well you you bring the little guy with us and uh, I'll make sure he gets some. But if his dad is, you know, on his phone while there's cheese curds in front of us, I, I cannot wait uh and, and just sit by while cheese curds go cold if someone's, you know, tweeting or texting like you put fried food in front of me, I'm sorry, man. But like that's that's on you. You can't pin that one on me.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're probably right, man. i lived with you for four years at that point. I should have known better.
1: Yeah, you don't leave food around me. Just, that's not a me thing. That's yeah. a you problem.
0: Exactly. All right, man. I appreciate the time, Troy.
1: Yeah, thanks, boss. All
0: right, now I'd like to welcome on my buddy Andy Glockner, who is the author of Chasing Perfection, a, a book about the behind-the-scenes look at how you build um, NBA franchises, and who is also one of the founding fathers of the Bubble Watch. He was doing this way back when uh, for, I believe, Sports Illustrated. And, um, you know, it's not here or there, but it looks like Marquette's going to be Team Bubble Watch again. I don't know if you've noticed that.
2: <laughs> I'm sure the Marquette folks on Twitter will let me know. That was one of the uh, the original jokes as a uh, founding father of Bubble Watch. Uh, Marquette was certainly uh, uh, hashtag uh, TDW, and they have sort of embraced that identity, and maybe they'll see it again this year.
0: All right, Andy. I'm bringing you on today because this weekend you were in Indianapolis at, I believe it was at NCAA headquarters, and there was, uh, I guess, a, a coming together of all of the best analytics minds in, uh, in college hoops. Guys like Ken Pomeroy were there, and Jeff Sagarin, and Kevin palgan Somehow you managed to weasel your way into the room, and <laughs> I guess you guys like just I, I, take me through what that meeting was and, and how it all kind of uh, came about because it seems like it was. At least significant in kind of getting the RPI out of the selection process
2: sure, sure, there was some Twitter jealousy I saw when that uh, when the press release came out people were uh, were questioning my presence, but uh, they saved a couple of uh, slots for uh, for media members that have had an interest in analytics, so I guess that's that's why i qualified to uh to attend uh, as you mentioned they had uh jeff sagarin there uh, jerry palm was there also uh, mike de from the media um uh, kevin Poga who does the kpi jeff sagarin who's well known for his ratings at uh, usa today and other places and uh and ken pomeroy who's uh very well known in, in college basketball circles for his own rankings and uh, some NCAA officials, uh, David Warlock, obviously, uh, uh, Dan Gavitt was there, who oversees basketball for the NCAA, and, and some other people that handle stuff, uh, you know, in terms of processing data and that type of thing for the NCAA. So I, I'd have to imagine there were probably 20 people in the meeting, give or take. Um, it was at NCAA headquarters, and uh, it was about four hours of discussion. Uh, give or take a little bit of a lunch break in there. Anyway, uh, the, the gist of it is the NCA is looking to overhaul the way that it uses analytics to help determine uh, the quality of teams for the NCA tournament. And uh, everybody knows that the RPI has been around for, what, 30 years now or more, And uh, it has a lot of issues. It's sort of an arbitrarily weighted formula. It doesn't value home versus road performances uh, well at all. So there are a lot of flaws in the formula. And I think the NCAA wanted to bring in people that do this, uh, you know, in a more modern way and try to understand what they can do to uh, improve the way that they use formulas as part of the evaluation process for the tournament
0: now how is there a time frame for when any of this will happen or is this just kind of they're they're reaching out to all these guys that have different ideas and trying to you know put together all the thoughts so they can come up with something a little bit better
2: The earliest it would happen is for next season, 2017-18, so the 2018 NCAA tournament. So this year will not be affected by any of the conversations that are happening. And, uh, you know, I don't think they're even saying for sure it will happen next year because obviously once they decide on the process, there's a lot of vetting and data and and explanation and getting people on board. You have to deal with the coaches. You have to deal with media partners. Uh, So there are a lot of steps beyond saying, hey, we need to improve this. And I think it's going to be a fairly complicated process.
0: Now, what what do you think the end game is here? Is it to come up with like one single metric that is better than the RPI to kind of rank teams? Is it a way to kind of judge teams better on what their wins are going to be? Is it, you know, to try to factor efficiency in a little more like what 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 is the end game goal for all this?
2: I think the end game, if possible, is to come up with one metric to replace the RPI. That was expressed by Dan Gavitt and David Warlock as the preference, although not universally, of the coaches that they spoke to about this, that they would like it better if there was one number that they can focus on. Now, the problem or the challenge with that is, depending on what you're trying to establish, as you just referenced, are you trying to establish uh, who has the best performances or best resume, or are you trying to uh, establish who the best team is? And those are two very different questions, and they can be applied to different parts of the NCA selection process or the the process between selection and then seeding, right? Those are two very different things as well. So these are the questions the NCA needs to try to figure out, which is what are we trying to solve for? Do we want to know who the best team is? Because implicit in that is an acknowledgement that margin of victory matters, and that's been something that people have pushed back on at the NCAA and the Division I coaching level. Or are you trying to get a better sense of how good a resume is? How, how good are these wins or losses that you played? How good is your schedule? And that does not necessarily require a margin of victory component. So I think they have to figure out what they want, and then whether it's really technically or, or you know uh, intellectually possible to blend it all into one metric that makes sense.
0: Yeah, because my one, there are two things that I want to come out of this. One, I want the the you know get rid of top fifty wins and top one hundred wins, and understand that beating the number fifty ranked team at home is not quite as impressive as beating the number fifty one uh, ranked team on the road. And I, based mm-hmm. on what you were tweeting about, it seemed like that was something that came up in the room. But the other part of it is that I want like I, I want wins to matter. Like I, I understand that if you beat a team by twenty five. It's different than beating a team by one, but when you go strictly based off of like efficiency and, and, and numbers like that, beating a team by one is not really all that different in terms of how good you are um, than losing to a team by one. And I want I want that to be as big of a difference. Like that win needs to matter. Like when you hit that game winning shot, mm-hmm. we need to celebrate because like that's something that actually matters. Like like having more points in that game should be important. And, and I'm just kind of curious, where do you fall mm-hmm. on that spectrum? And, and is there a way to get all of that into one formula combined?
2: Well, I, you, you threw a lot out there. And I think m- both of those major points were definitely discussed in the meeting. Let me let me talk about the first one first, which is uh, the biggest point that I have had with David Warlock privately, and now in this session on uh, on Friday, last Friday, was exactly what you said, is the NCA committee with its formulas or its, you know, its eye test or whatever, does not fairly rank home versus road wins or understand what the gap between home wins and road wins really is. You know, you hear all the time top 25, top 50 wins. So, you know, somebody would get a credit for beating 40 at home and then somebody else would not get credit for beating number 75 on the road because, well, that's not an NCAA tournament team, when a lot of people that study this you know, on an advanced level would say that the win at number 75 is a better win. It's a better performance given how strong it is and how, harder, how much harder it is to win away from home. So I think the NCAA really has to look at what that gap is and understand that. You know, even if they're just looking at eye test and however you want the team sheet to come out and the display and whether you rejigger those with new metrics, the NCAA committee has to understand what the proper value of wins and losses are and understand where the games are played and what that means. So when you then project that against um, the second part you're talking about, uh, they were very open about the fact that wins should matter, that, that you know, that, that, that that's what we play sports for. Right. I mean, you're supposed to win the game. Now, there is a difference, fundamentally, between beating somebody by one and beating somebody by 20. And there is not really a fundamental difference between beating somebody by one and losing to somebody by one in one game. But at the same extent, you can't just disregard winning. Like, that's a, that's a cutoff line, right? You know, that's, hey, you won the game. That's what you're supposed to do. So I think the NCAA is not going to push for something that just goes completely on, well, hey, this is how good you are, and I don't really care that you went 18 and 12. Because at the end of the day, they want to encourage winning games. And I understand that to a certain point. I hope they can find a way to win the two.
0: Yeah, and and I've I've never really had an issue with results-based metrics. I don't think that the the RPI is different because, I mean, you could probably explain this and understand it a little better than me, but that has a lot more uh, to it than just, like, being a results-based metric. It doesn't take into account home and road and and all this other stuff. So it's just flawed. But results-based, I wouldn't have an issue if there was, like, something that was strictly based on, like, the wins that you had, and then something that was strictly based off of efficiency, and then you could look at those mm-hmm. two numbers and compare them. I don't think that there's a problem with that.
2: Well, there's not a problem functionally with it. In fact, a lot of people in the room were saying, hey, that's probably the best academic approach, is to have one metric that the, you know judges your, your, how well you've done and another that judges how good are you. And those are different questions. The problem that I would see with that, and that's just, this is just my own opinion, is let's say you, know, you have a, something like, like now. You say, oh, you have an RPI of 40 and an SOS of whatever, right? And people look at that and they start to interpret like, well, what is the committee buying and what are they not? I think that problem would translate to a scenario where you have like, well, your, your, your quality of wins says you're 25th, but your quality of performance says you're 60th, and then you get an 11th seat. You know, and then people just start picking the whole process apart rather than just saying, like, hey, this team is 34th in the NCAA rankings. Uh, To me, doing it the academic way might not be the most functional way, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, and at the end of the day, I think what it comes down to is having people in that room that kind of understand what the specific biases are for each of the numbers that you're looking at and being able to put all that – get a bunch of smart guys together and they'll be able to figure it out. Is that – I mean – yeah, so makes and, sense, and, right?
2: And they were also very, very um, repetitive in saying that metrics, just as they are now, whatever this new NCA metric is, if it comes about, is one piece of the puzzle. Like you're, they're just not going to hand the whole thing over to an analytics, you know, formula and say, okay, you know, you're 33rd in the formula, so you're a nine seed. Like that's not gonna, how it's going to happen. There's still going to be a human element with coaches and ads in the room talking about teams. And uh, Ken Pomeroy has been open in the past about what you know he jokes as the Wisconsin problem in his formula. Because the way it works, in Wisconsin, the style they play, they end up hammering bad teams in non-conference play, and then their you know their margin of victory is really good, and that rolls forward during the season. You know, there there are flaws in every formula, right? That you're not going to have a perfect formula without outliers. So there has to be a human evaluation of what this all means, uh, unless you know unless you just want to hand it over and say, hey, here's one through 65, and that's what it is. But I don't think they have an interest in doing that.
0: The one thing I will give the NCAA credit for on this is that they're very open to changing what they're doing if people think they're doing it wrong like I've just I've always gotten the feel that they pay attention to that kind of stuff and I don't know if it's Dan Gavitt or, or David Warlock or who it is but they they pay attention to what people like us are saying and what then the critiques that we have of what they're doing and they're open to changing that is that I don't know is that am I the only one that feels that way like do you get a sense of that as well?
2: No, I think that's fair. I mean, this was the first time I had met Dan in person. Uh, I obviously know David a little bit better. And I think, generally speaking, he, especially because, you know, David is front and center during NCAA tournament time, and everybody has complaints about who gets in and who doesn't and who gets seated where and who doesn't. And I've found David to be um, open um i think he puts himself out there and will listen to people and then if you you know if you if you don't want to you know smear him on twitter you know you could reach out to him privately which i think he probably appreciates more and just express what your thoughts are and i think this type of a meeting sort of stemmed from several years of those conversations right where they kind of knew that what they were doing was not the best way to do it and i think what we do have to say and maybe i'd be interested in your opinion generally speaking the ncaa tournament committee does fine right Yeah, I mean, mean, it's like, you know, every year it's like, all right, I think they screwed up putting Pulse in last year. It's one team. Oh, they messed up a couple of seeds. Like, there are very few instances. The only time I was really angry with what they did was when I thought they overloaded Wichita State's region a few years ago. And I thought the whole bracket, honestly, was fundamentally unfair and unbalanced. And I, I think they take that type of feedback and that type of critique. Uh, And as long as it's presented in kind of a respectable way with evidence and saying this is why I think it, I think they do welcome that kind of thing. And I think this is sort of a a result of that conversation.
0: Yeah, and and the NCAA tournament, putting together the brackets for the most part, it's not broken. There are things that can be tweaked and improved, but it doesn't need an overhaul, I don't think. Maybe you just get rid of the RPI and use a different number, but you're still going to be using that number the same way that we use the RPI at this point. I
2: mean, I, you know, if you really want to get, you know, uh, detail-oriented about it, I think the bigger problem is, you know, the bias in the room in the committee. You know, I mean, if you have, if you have a committee that doesn't understand what they're looking at, it doesn't matter what your numbers are. It doesn't matter what formulas you're using. It doesn't matter if the data in is garbage or the data out is garbage. It doesn't matter because they don't know what it means anyway, right? So I think the the, the committee also has gotten more savvy over the years. You've heard reports of more and more guys using advanced numbers and, and other metrics and looking at other data and talking to other people just to get a sound check and a sanity check on what they think. And I think that part of the process, when I said earlier, I think the committee, the biggest thing I think they need to do is understand what the value of games are, what the value of wins and losses are, and you know what is the difference between X and Y. And if they solve that, I think that will solve a lot of the other problems.
0: Since I got you here, Andy, I got to ask you, how do you feel about the Ivy League tournament? I know you... Uh... You're you're a Penn guy. You're you, I think you have a degree from every Ivy League school except the schools that actually matter: <laughs> Yale, uh, Princeton, and Harvard. Except um,
2: the ones that matter, yes.
0: Yeah, and and there. So the Ivy League is going to a conference tournament this year. It's going to be the top four teams play a four team tournament. I believe it's at the Palestra. So I think it's going to be an awesome event. But I know that you're. You know, I mean, you're you're a big soccer fan like I am, and I know that you value those regular season championships. I'm just kind of curious: How do you feel about it? Are you looking forward to it? And does Penn have a chance this year?
2: Uh, no, I don't like it. Uh, maybe that makes me a bit of a purist, but I, I've always liked that the regular season in the Ivy League meant a lot. I understand the alternate argument, which is you don't want teams to go you know, one and four to start the season and feel like they're done, and they have nine meaningless games. That's never a good thing. But I do think, especially for smaller conferences, and the, look, the Ivy League has had a, a significant amount of success in the last six or seven NCAA tournaments. It,
0: it's a really uh, good Cornell league. Go,
2: yeah, it's a, it's a good basketball league. Um, and they had Harvard win what two or three first round games? I forget what it is. And Cornell. I think it was two. They won a. They won as
0: a. I think they beat. They won as a 14 seed, and they won they, as a 12 seed. They beat, and then, they,
2: do, they beat. New Mexico, and they beat Cincinnati, and I forget whether they nicked another game or not. And then Yale and won last year, right? A couple of times and, and Yale won a game last year. So this is you know basically what you're seeing is a conference that has taken basketball more seriously as a whole. It used to be just Penn and Princeton, and now it's a lot more. And what happens when you send your best team? And that's what I don't understand. You're going through a process by which, unless you think over time, the league will get good enough to where a, a conference champion can get in at large fit if it loses in the tournament, and I guess that's possible. But you see the benefit of sending your best basketball team to the NCAA tournament. They're winning a lot of games. And that's my problem with the tournament. I don't like a four-team tournament, although I guess I like that better than an eight-team tournament. I think it'll be goofy if Penn is the four-seed this year and is hosting the one-seed in a home game in the semifinals. I think that's awful. But you have to deal with the you know the facilities questions that you had, and this is their short term solution to it. So that's a long winded way of saying no. I wish they didn't do it.
0: Yeah, in and, and a dream world, I would love to see both the tournament uh, champion and the regular season champion get an at, or get an automatic bid to uh, the NCAA tournament, even if that means expanding the field to like eighty games or eighty teams and mm-hmm. having more mm-hmm. playing games. Um, if it's going to expand, let's let's kind of get some of these. Uh, these best bid majors in because that's where you get the best stories from. But uh, Andy, I appreciate and, you and giving plus, me. Some, and plus, oh, you, plus,
2: you can get a bid for the Champions League next year, right? Oh yeah, there you go. Are you, did you <laughs> did you bring that up? Did you pitch that? Uh, you know, I very briefly mentioned that Gavin just is on the side, and I kind of teased that I would pitch him on it. And I, I think they've got other things on their plate right now. But you know,
0: that was your chance, man. That was your chance.
2: <laughs> <laughs> maybe 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 tomorrow's the day. All right. Anyway, I appreciate you having me on, man.
0: Yeah, tell them about the, uh, the book you wrote and where people can find it.
2: Oh, sure. Uh, it came out last, uh, last March, March 2016, and as Rob mentioned, it was mostly NBA, but there's a, a full chapter on college stuff also involving Duke and Kentucky and Colorado State and some Marquette uh, dealing with analytics and technology and how teams are looking to build better basketball players and better basketball teams. So the title's Chasing Perfection, and you can get it on Amazon or any major bookstore that you happen to wander into.
0: All right, Andy, I appreciate the time, man.
2: Thanks a lot, Rob. Take it easy. Let's jump into Pepper's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Pepper play sets, Pepper Pig